just announce that something is the opposite of what it is. Height of comedy. I have a book of medieval jokes, and there's a lot of like people thinking that other people have had sex when they haven't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Jenny Paladna. And I'm Max Yamasaki. And I'm Jim Stormdancer. This is Topic Lords, the only place on the internet you can hear topics discussed. Jenny, would you like to introduce yourself or do you have anything to plug? Uh, no, just Chris's cooking videos again. Okay. I still don't know what his actual YouTube handle is, so hopefully that's in the topic notes. It's okay. We'll still put it in the show notes again. Has he, has he made any more videos since the last Topic Lords? Yes, he made a very good one about uh, fried green boys. Okay, excellent. Uh, and Max, would you like to introduce yourself or do you have anything to plug? Uh, yeah, I'm Max and I'd like to plug, I've started a video game book club Ooh. of indie games from mainly from that big uh, racial justice bundle that was on itch.io. Oh, cool. And it's a, a Google group that you should... I haven't thought about how access to it works. We'll just put a link. Heck yeah, we'll, we'll figure it out. Put it in the show notes. Yeah. Are you ready to start on some topics? Yes! Heck, heck yeah. Okay. Ooh. Jenny, your topic is not caring if you're duplicating thought work that it was done by t a ton of people forever ago because you're having a good time. Yeah. So my new hobby lately is, um, so you know the, the animal crossing flower genetics system? Mm -hmm. vaguely yeah so it's just it's just you know the uh dominant recessive two alleles uh big or small letters punnett square stuff that that you learn in like sixth grade genetics i don't know if kids are still learning things in school <laughs> i don't think so so it's it's basically that which determines uh the phenotype of the flowers but it's Instead of kind of making sense as rules, it's a little bit arbitrary, as though like somebody just had was like was sitting there with a spreadsheet and they're like, okay, here's all the genotypes in a spreadsheet. Five of these have to be pink. Knock yourself out. Just pick pick some that kind of makes sense. So I've been uh, doing a thing that you would never ever need to do in Animal Crossing because if you just want to breed like hybrid flowers. Everybody's got all the most optimal breeding routes like figured out for you and you just need to go online. So I started doing a thing where I was like, okay, but if you just had all the mystery flowers that have been reproducing willy-nilly around your island and you had no idea what their genotypes were anymore because um, they weren't, you didn't know how long ago they'd been bred from seed because all the seed ones have, have standard genotypes. Could you a like breed any color flower out of mystery flowers, and uh, could you reproduce every possible genotype out of mystery flowers? So that's been my big like puzzle hobby lately, and there's no reason to do it. And I haven't bothered to like learn anything <laughs> about basic <laughs> genetics, so I feel like I'm probably reinventing the wheel a lot. But I'm really enjoying myself. So this is one of those things where like if this was, if you were doing science on the real world, people would look at you like you're an idiot. But <laughs> in a video game, this is just how everybody plays games. You, you solve the puzzle on your own. That's just how it works. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I definitely did that 
that was my first joy in Minecraft was like finding out about redstone and then just like recreating basic logic and like computing from things and like <laughs> uh, aggressively avoiding looking at what other people had done with redstone and just being like, this is my puzzle to solve. That does sound sound delightful. Yeah. I wonder if anybody had that enjoyment with like figuring out all the little crafting patterns you have to, to, to look up. Oh, I bet they did. I slammed my head against that for a while because the friend that introduced me to Minecraft was like, don't, don't worry about the crafting shapes. Just look it up. And I was like, how dare you? <laughs> <laughs> and was it a good part of the game? Uh, I would say no, not at all. That's, that's <laughs> what I thought. That's, I think that's the consensus that I've heard. I think the first like three or five were kind of fun where you were like, oh, I can, now that I know a pickaxe ex exists, I can definitely make one. Huh, I wonder if, oh, I just made an axe. It's like, okay, I'm, no, this no longer is intuitive. Have either of you played um, Neo Scavenger? No. No, I haven't. It's mostly text-based that has some hex visuals survival game, but it's, it's heavily inventory-based. So you, like, wake up in an abandoned cryogenics facility and, like, some sort of apocalypse has happened and you don't know what, and then... To start, your inventory is two because you're in a hospital gown without pockets and so you have two hands. Ah. Uh, and you like find plastic like grocery bags around uh, and that can help you carry things. But then like they break a lot. So then you have to stuff grocery bags in oh, your grocery man. bag. See, I don't want to just replicate my real life in a video game. <laughs> I don't know. I'm kind of into the idea of like an apocalypse defined by like getting big, better and better containers for all your stuff. That is yeah. really good. It's it's really enjoyable for that. I I love the container simulation of that game. <laughs> I want a game where you wake up in a cryogenics laboratory and there's been an apocalypse, but there's lots of fish sticks, so you just eat fish sticks. Mm. Oh. Like they were cryogenically frozen fish, or did they start out as sticks? Um, <laughs> They're born sticks. <laughs> <laughs> that could be a mystery that unravels as you play. When you genetically combine sticks and fish, and then you freeze them. <laughs> but that has, like, pretty intuitive crafting, where you'll just, like, find objects on the ground, and then pretty much every recipe that you can think of works. But a lot of them are really hokey and basic, where, like, it's like you have a stick in your inventory, and to make that stick into a spear, you hold it in your hand. <laughs> yeah. It also has like a shopping cart, like shopping carts you can find in the world, but they break. And then when they break, you have all the crafting supplies of a shopping cart, but you can't make a shopping cart from them, which what? makes sense because it broke. <laughs> like you need a shopping cart plus a bit more shopping cart. Plus glue. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like did the soul of the shopping cart ascend into heaven? It's actually a, there's, there's a fishing mini game to get the soul back. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I would play this now. <laughs> and you freeze the soul and then you have fish sticks. <laughs> <laughs> I do feel like there's a lot of pleasure to be had in doing, in redoing work that people have already done. And I feel like this is something that used to feel a lot less useless. Like if you're if you're just starting out in woodworking, you can make a 
birdhouse and it's useful as a birdhouse and you just here's something i made and it was easy to do like a good starter project and it's there are birds in it right now whereas nowadays knowledge work specifically any given piece of work is like doing it more than once is pointless and so like it's it's hard to get a leg up when you're a beginner to feel like you're doing things that are like of your level of ability that are also not like they don't just feel like make work when 3d printers started to get um more popular i kind of wondered if that was part of the appeal is that uh you can be doing the same sort of like testing and experimentation as everyone else but you do get that um like a physical result from it or at least a physical error even if it's just a a programming error then it's like oh i have this pile of string left now <laughs> well yeah and and well, 3d printers they're a recent enough technology that you could go into them and be doing original thought work without too much hassle like probably if you if you try to do anything outside of the norm you're doing r&d that 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 feels uh it feels a lot more interesting. It's in, it's it's it feels like a good space to be in if you're you know one of the people who you know wishes you were born in like the age of enlightenment or something like oh that. Oh my god! I was just about to say I constantly am annoyed that I'm not like a scientist in the 1300s or whatever because yeah. I could just I could just look at a lilac bush and write down things. <laughs> yeah, 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 uh, yeah. I was reading like that that Tycho Brahe was like the greatest naked eye astronomer. I could fucking be the greatest naked eye astronomer. You just fucking look up. <laughs> Maybe you have a sextant. Oh, you could have an octant. We've advanced. Is that a thing? I don't, I don't know what that it is. It sounds like a thing, but now I'm like, I don't. What is an octant? Is it 33% more? Seems right. <laughs> hey, um, I remember in high school, I was looking at like an astronomy website or it was more general than that, but like it had a page on astronomy. And uh, there was a word on there that I, I like was trying to figure out what it meant. And it said, uh, congressant. Congressant. And I was like, what's a congressant? And I looked it up and there was like no results. And then elsewhere on the page, it was talking about like, uh, it was talking about sex and it referred to <gasps> it as congress. Congress. Oh, that's hilarious. They had just find <laughs> all replaced it. <laughs> Like the classic guy, you do five to wizard. <laughs> Are you ready for another topic? Uh, yeah. Uh, Max, your topic is correction on Japanese crop microbiome. Yeah, I guess it's more of like an addendum, but on a, I guess by the time this goes out, a distant episode, they were talking about why rice tastes different in Japan. In Japan, like there had to be heavy restriction to keep the microbiome the same so that the like purity and consistency of, of rice would be correct. Uh, and that's true, but I would say only to the extent that it's true for other places and any other crops in the world where like they have to be careful about uh, endemic funguses coming in and like, um, and just general kind of disease from other places. Yeah. Well, yeah, they, they also gave the example of like sourdough in San Francisco having a similar, like the, the local culture there affects the, the flavor of the bread. Yeah, yeah. The reason I wanted to kind of nitpick on it was in Japan, nationalists, like far right nationalists 
use that concept to like justify xenophobia towards ethnically Korean farmers. Oh hmm. boy. Oh, like they're touching our rice and it makes it like not good rice because they have like the Korean biome on them. Wow. Uh, when really the like, if you look at the variety of microbiome from Korea, Taiwan, and Japan, they're all kind of functionally the same. And in that same like kind of range of, of uh, flavors that they cause. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's in this category that I kind of see where like I, so my half my family is Japanese and I grew up going there a lot, but primarily growing up here. And that gave me like a lot of weird views in terms of not just like things that people perceived about Japan, but like things that kind of people trusted as just being facts about Japan that Japanese people had said, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. With the movie uh, Isle of Dogs, there was a lot of people that were like kind of critiquing it from a, like a cultural appropriation angle because it was directed by Wes Anderson, who's white, and like it is largely in uh, Japanese and takes place in like a fictional Japan. But the kind of critique more within Japan was that it it sort of validated this more right-leaning notion that like there's a a white character in it who goes to like the the main character's school and she's got uh kind of an afro of hair uh and is pale skinned and has freckles and has kind of more jagged features than everyone else and that's like a sort of default stereotypical image of a foreigner in Japan and Wes Anderson kind of copied that one for one without kind of showing anything with that. Do you think he just saw like a, like a, the equivalent of a chick tract maybe, and just liked the image from it? Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of my thought on it. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause it's like Japan is, is a colonial power with a whole right leaning thing of its own. And oftentimes I, I think people kind of view cultural output without politics when it's from another place. Well, right. Cause you don't have the context. Yeah. It's really hard to do. <laughs> well, yeah. And I'm sure like if this Wes Anderson movie didn't actually, wasn't actually seen in Japan, it wouldn't have been a big deal. Wouldn't, wouldn't have been, been a big deal for that character to exist. Yeah. Because it's only in that context that it means something. Yeah. But the fact that it was shown there was this sort of validation from the right that was like, oh, see, like, even outsiders, like, know that our perception of this thing is right. That's interesting. Yeah. That's one reason I find it relaxing to watch Japanese television, because my Japanese is not anywhere good enough to know who's being a horrible far right douchebag. (laughs) (laughs) And who is not. They all just sound pleasant. (laughs) You could also just watch TV with the sound off and listen to nice music. <laughs> That's not a bad idea. You could watch people get progressively angrier and angrier at each other and have no idea why. <laughs> <laughs> what about muting a show and then auto-generating subtitles based on like when people are speaking, but with no, like just randomly generating the, the lines? That, that sounds shown. incredible. Isn't that how they made Samurai Pizza Cats? Really? Uh, what's that? Uh, so the actual story, so I'm told, for Samurai Pizza Cats, it was a 
It was uh, an anime that uh, the localizers in the United States were not, they didn't speak Japanese and they didn't, weren't given a translation. <laughs> so oh, wow. they made up new characters and story <laughs> to fit the existing episodes. And so I'm told the, the new show is much better than the original. Chris and I just got done watching Ghost Stories, which is a similar thing, except the the translate like they they actually did know what was happening in the original episodes, but they had been told like this this show had apparently tanked so badly in Japanese that they were like, mm-hmm. okay, for the you've got the English rights, we just we need you to keep the original character names the same and keep the original plot lines the same, and we don't. Other than that, we don't care what you do, and it's very like early two thousands edge lordy. Like it's it was it was fun and funny, but you're going to be sitting there with your twenty twenty sensibilities, going, "Oh my god!" <laughs> Are we ready for another topic? Sure. So my topic is the the PXL two thousand camcorder. Uh, this was a um, camcorder made in the late eighties by Fisher Price, uh, which saves video to cassette tape like audio cassette oh. wow so it's uh, it's all black and white it's um i think i think it has like 11 minutes per side of tape so it's it's playing the tape at faster than uh, audio would oh that's awesome that's very cool and it's really popular with with people who want to make like lo-fi indie movies yeah mm-hmm. oh man oh. I didn't realize there was a two-minute uh, performance art scene in Richard Linklater's Slacker that was filmed on this. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That sounds very appropriate. Yeah. Man, I think you... Was it you and I who were talking recently about the period of your life where you just quote movie lines and that's your entire form of communication? Oh, I was never... I was, I was describing other people who were not me. You were describing me. Okay, all right. <laughs> Throughout like most of my teens and early 20s. And a lot of those lines were from the movie Slacker. Mm-hmm. I definitely consumed whole movies based on like people around me quoting them. <laughs> yeah. Which I really enjoyed as a way of like taking in more media than I like had time to watch. I was like, oh, perfect. <laughs> Give me the script. <laughs> so if you had to pick a movie and for the rest of your life, you could only communicate in lines from that movie just for like ordering a hamburger or whatever. Is there a major motion picture adaptation of the dictionary? <laughs> well, yeah, can we can we shoot a movie then have that be the movie? Uh, if you want to be a cheater about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's a I'm trying to think of like which one would have which one would be the most fun and which one would have the most utility. Right. Like the move the movie with the most words in it would probably be the most utile. Say lines from the movie, do I sound like the person in the movie or do I sound like me? Oh. <laughs> that's a good question. Which would you prefer? But I was thinking if I like sounded like the person from the movie, I could do cool things if I like chose Jurassic <laughs> Park and I like spoke <laughs> dinosaur at people. <gasps> that would be really useful when the dinosaurs do come back. Yeah. So this was something that came up on a previous podcast, so this is going to be boring for the listeners, but I'm going to tell you two. Okay. My sister was talking about a um, one of those tabletop RPG podcasts where there is a character that the DM played that only spoke lines snipped from previous episodes of the podcast that the players had said. 
Oh wow. Wow. And that was the that was the that character's um conceit was that they were like a parrot, like a mechanical parrot. Oh. That's cool. Which I thought was really neat. Yeah. I think maybe I would for the movie I would choose um something where it's like a an anthology film that has like a bunch of different short films in it. Oh yeah. Okay. So at least my like my dialogue has different styles to it. Okay. So I am looking for the movie with the most words in it. <laughs> and all the results are movies with the most F words in it. Oh man. <laughs> Not not as helpful. Okay, C- Casino from nineteen ninety five has sixty seven thousand words. Wow! So I haven't seen Casino, but I'm just gonna I'm gonna commit to that. Okay. That'll be my. Uh, I can only speak in whatever kind of things they say. If it was if it was the thing where you could sound like them, who would you who would you want in your movie? Like <laughs> you talk like I think I, Ted Danson uh, uh-huh. be pretty good. Very good. Uh, Steve Buscemi. <laughs> I've been watching uh, Russian Doll. I love Russian Lady Doll. Yeah, good. it's very good. God, it's so, so good. <laughs> I just finished it today. Oh, my God. I think it's definitely my top five uh, TV shows. That's the word. Yeah, I liked it a lot. I was really impressed by Russian Doll. I was really impressed with, like, I've seen a lot of time loop movies and they rarely pay off in any meaningful way. Like usually the, the, the writers don't know what to do with it, but that one really, I think really worked. It's so good at balancing, like, like it, it feels like it has both mechanical stakes and Mm -hmm. like aligns with its characters really, really well. Yeah. And like, I, I was thinking a lot about that. Like when something feels like it has, uh, like the mechanics make emotional sense of like, Oh, like this isn't just happening randomly or because the author wanted it to happen this way. It's just like, Mm -hmm. it feels like there is a consistent pattern without having to like give a direct explanation or have it be like overly obvious what that pattern is. Yeah. Like the entire tone is that somebody like the, the universe is trying to communicate things to Nadia and she's just like, what? I'm not getting it. What? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I found on the same page where I found the movies with the most dialogue, a list of movies with the least dialogue. According to this, Team America World Police has only 1,600 words in it, which that doesn't sound right to me. I haven't seen that movie in a long time, but I remember those characters talking more than that. Would you count silent movies as having zero lines? I would. And that there are no silent movies on this list. They all they all have over a thousand words. Maybe under the rules of this, you wouldn't be allowed to speak lines from silent movies, but you could hold up cards with the lines from silent movies on them. Yeah. Ooh, I kind of like that. When I was taking ASL in high school, we had to like for a week. We had to only uh, speak ASL. Oh wow! Uh, and one of the days, I was trying to be a rules person, and I uh, brought a Ouija board and pointed things <laughs> out. <laughs> and my ASL teacher, who was really religious, was very angry by the Ouija board. <laughs> oh, no. Jim, I found a line from the, the movie Casino that's going to be really useful to you. All right. From now on, I want you to put an equal amount of blueberries in each muffin. That sounds extremely useful. 
You could survive on just that, I think. Yeah, it's, is it a superfood? <laughs> <laughs> so the follow-up is, I don't care how long it takes. Put an equal amount in each muffin. All right. I'll practice that line. Okay. That's, that's the only line from Casino that I know. Okay. That's the only thing I'm allowed to say for the rest of this podcast. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. So, Jim, how are you? I don't... Um, <laughs> I don't care what they blueberries. I don't remember the line. Are you singing "Come to My Window" by Melissa Etheridge, but with blue? Uh, let's go with that. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes, and as far as like recording, is like recording to the set. I had this project a while back where I made goggles that. They, they just had distance sensors in front of each eye, and then they blocked your vision. And then from each distance sensor, it read like how the closest object to that distance sensor, and it put a tone in your ear based on that. Oh. So based on the distance? Yeah, yeah. One for like each eye corresponding to its ear. Yeah. And I tried walking around with that, just like hearing the world, and my kind of thing to explore with it is I was like, okay, you can probably navigate just by being like higher pitch things are closer. So it's like, I just look down and if there's a high pitch thing, I move out of the way or step over it. Yeah. But I wondered if you could adapt to like, if you could just hear it and then rather than parse it consciously, like just intuit what the room looked like by like moving your head around. Yeah. I mean, what, then what was the result? I, kept walking into things and I didn't wear it for long enough. So I don't know. This, this makes sense to me. Like the yeah. one, one sample point for each eye is not a whole lot of information. I wouldn't like, yeah. Like if you're not like looking down at the thing, like the, 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 at the end table that you're going to hit with your knee, you're not going to see that it's close. Yeah. And overall it's probably less sensory information than just like hearing without having a squealing single note in your ear. <laughs> right. Right. The, the thing it would be good for is like making sure you don't like knock your eyes into something. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So if any listeners uh, would like to avoid knocking their eyes into things or would like to take this test further, I can send you these goggles. Just email me. And I'll send them to you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Are we ready for another topic? Yeah. All right. This is a write-in. Quill asks... This is the first Wikipedia page for a movie that has the entire movie embedded in the page. And then there's a link to the Wikipedia entry for Road to Bali. Wow. Yeah. And so I, I, I'm i curious, like, was there like an article about how this is the first time it's happened? Um, but it's certainly the case that you can watch the entire movie in uh, inside of the Wikipedia page. And I've seen the sort of thing with like poems where you can find the entire poem on the Wikipedia page. Uh, but a movie is considerably more information. I want a version of Mist that is played through Wikipedia pages. <laughs> that would be incredible. Are you thinking like a, a hypertext Mist where? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I don't think you would you would lose too much. In the game. <laughs> yeah, you'd need to have a little bit of data in a cookie. Yeah. For yeah. for the state of the world. But aside from that, like it as far as I know, Mist started as a hypercard stack. Yeah. As far as I know as well. As far as I know, third. <laughs> so between the three of us, we do wait, does does the, the knowledge 
does the confidence level add together or multiply together? It could just be misinformation that was so commonly spread that we all know it. That sounds like something that would happen. Yeah. Maybe the the text size of our statement gets bigger. Okay. <laughs> yep. I don't I don't have a ton to say about uh Road to Bali being embedded in its own Wikipedia page. I'm sad there isn't like a section on the Wikipedia page about why it's on like about about the Wikipedia page having this movie in it. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> in like the legacy section. Yeah. Oh, they're kind of it says it says copyright status. Yeah. The talk page. Oh, that would be the place to find it, yeah. Uh, except people just talk on the talk page. It feels like it's being referenced to by having that copyright section and it says like I actually don't know if all old movies have this, but just like for the the road to Bali, twenty eighth year was in nineteen eighty, which means the film has already fallen into public domain when the copyright was renewed in 1981. Yeah, there are a few movies that have just fallen through the cracks through some technicality that normal people don't understand. So this article has been rated as C-class on the project's quality scale. Ooh. Yeah, and it's been checked against the following criteria for B-class status. It would be, I bet it would be a C-minus without that movie embedded. Probably. Teacher is like, well, bonus points. Would you want your Wikipedia page to be of a high rating or of a low rating? Oh, oh I, I want only the best. I mean, in fact, let's find out. Oh yeah, I have a I have a Wikipedia oh, page. Wikipedia. Is it ranked? It's ranked low importance. <gasps> oh no! Uh, GA Ouch. class, whatever that means. G- General admittance. Oh, good article. <laughs> Okay. Aw. So that's, 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 that's nice. That's nice. Good. You should put that on your accomplishments. Is it? Well, I, have... if I do that, I might get in trouble because you're not supposed to write Wikipedia pages about yourself. Ah. Well, I was just thinking, like, is it okay to say, like, like on your business card, like, Wikipedia page is, is a good article about me? Yeah. Oh, no. Frog Fractions 2 was nominated for deletion. Yeah, I didn't even know there was ever a separate Frog Fractions 2 page. They always just talked about it in Frog Fractions. I would kind of want my article to be of low quality, so it's like there's more mystery. Right. Like, yeah, I, I was going to say you could learn things about yourself <laughs> that you didn't previously <laughs> yeah. know. Yeah, I could uh, plug this article into GPT-2 and learn <laughs> facts about future sequels. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Then you have like a time paradox. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, so accurate. Are we ready for another topic? Sure. Sure. Uh, Max, your topic is search and rescue as an excuse for robotics research. Yeah, this is a pattern that I noticed. So I, I used to work in insect inspired robots. Were you ever inspired by the insects that have clear wings and nano pillars on their, on their wings to, so they don't reflect light? <laughs> I I only learned that fact on this podcast and then I sent it to my old coworkers. Nice. Nice. <laughs> but we did have clear-winged robots because huh. we we were building our goal was to build robots at the same size and using like the same mechanisms as existing insects. Mm-hmm. We could also have talked about this about in the section in the topic about duplicating thought work. Oh yeah. 
Oh, no. I had never <laughs> thought about that it was already done. <laughs> it's okay. So uh, I was always really excited, and it was generally a pretty flashy thing that people liked to show off these robots, because like, I made the heaviest robot in the lab, and it was 0.05 grams. Wow. And there we made robots that fly, and mine jumped and then grabbed onto the ceiling. And it used the mechanism from inside a flea. But when people asked, like, oh, what's this for? <laughs> One of the default answers was like, oh, in the, like a search and rescue context, you could use like a swarm <laughs> of these <laughs> tiny robot insects. And I bet that makes people go, oh, and walk to away. To bite the people that you're going to rescue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To yeah, be like, wake yeah. up, stay awake, here I am. The circus has arrived. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, it's it's all about morale. And soon after that, as I was reading, like, other robotics papers, as I got more steeped in the field, there was just, like, most interesting robot projects. If you look at, like, their listed applications, they'll say search and rescue, <laughs> even though, like, I know search and rescue people, and they never use robots. <laughs> like, they're not funded enough. To have robots. Is it, does it just turn out that all these robots are going to military use? Uh, or just like it's general research and they need like justification for them because it's just exploratory. Yeah. Because like the, our robots, we never got military funding because they aren't good at carrying a payload. They're basically just good enough to like verify. Like we worked closely with a, um, a biology lab that they would give us like ultrasounds of living insects. So they would have like a a tethered uh, fly flying and then they would do an ultrasound of the fly while it was in the air. And so then we would reconstruct the like mechanism of the fly. That, that does sound fun. So it sounds like cool research. Yeah. It was, it was really fun, but there's not like a a super practical reason to do that. Well, right. Because if you want, a fly. There's already one there. They got it tethered. <laughs> yeah. You're done. You can go home. Yeah. Most of the research is like, is like just recreating bugs. But there's this one, uh, this one woman in the lab who her project is just stealing parts of bugs. She's a serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's more like Frankenstein style where she's like, Stealing them from the recently deceased. Okay. Wow. Uh, and so it's um, our smell sensors and our like chemical air particulate sensors are expensive and heavy and have a high error rate. But moth antennas are lightweight uh, and cheap as a moth. <laughs> <laughs> if cheap as a moth isn't like an idiom somewhere, it needs it to needs be. It needs to be. <laughs> You know, like they say, as you buy your, like, dime a dozen bag of moths. Right. (laughs) I guess these would be cheap as a moth, huh? (laughs) But so she would just, like, cut off the antennas of the moths. And the antennas kind of function like one long nerve chain. And so when they receive, like, a chemical that they're sensitive to, uh, it just sends an electric pulse down the nerve chain. And so she literally just like had it attached to a circuit board and it was just like this moth antenna. And it was like 
she cut the end off the moth antenna and then like just connected it like a little piece of wire between two nodes on the circuit board. Wow. And I was like, is that it? She's like, yeah, pretty much. And then she attached that to a drone and it would just fly away, like sensing moth pheromones. Wow. Yeah. So moths don't have like a circulatory system, right? Not really. They do some stuff with liquids. (laughs) (laughs) Don't we all? (laughs) So how, how does the antenna stay alive when it's on the moth? And how can they recreate that with a circuit board? Oh, yeah, they don't. Okay, all right. (laughs) Uh, It lasts for about an hour and a half when it's off the moth. That sounds exactly like a thing that somebody who had no scientific background would try. Right? Yeah. (laughs) And then I asked her, like, what's... What are you using to like connect the, you know, like wire path to the, the moth antenna? She's like, oh, it's this like this bio gel. And I was like, oh, that's like a movie prop sounding thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we got the unobtainium in the bio gel. Yeah. And she just kind of shrugged because it's an engineering lab and not like a pure science lab. So we don't need to know what the bio gel is. It's fine. You just need to know that it makes moth antennas <laughs> adhere to circuit ports. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I bet solder would work. <laughs> I feel like you just cauterize the, the antenna. Yeah, probably. Well, so you'd have to do what I always always do instead of solder things, which is just like put the two wires together and twist them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe like slap on a little little uh, electrical tape over it. Yep. Yeah. So, have you considered like donating your old projects to search and rescue teams? Oh, yeah. So when they're in a dark environment where they can't use their eyes, they can still see two very specific points in front of them. <laughs> did, did you try to get funding for your goggles with... <laughs> <laughs> Jim, does your wife need an army of robot bugs for her park ranger crew? Listen, I, I'm not going to say no. <laughs> I bet they can find a use for them. And if not, it'll be hilarious when we turn them loose in the park. <laughs> My goal was always to get them breeding because I wanted I my my goal in life is to like to destroy the planet. No, I just wanted like a nuisance that we had created that was like, oh, like, isn't it awful that there's just these little like robot mosquitoes around? How annoying. (laughs) Oh, I see. So they would both breed and suck your blood. Yeah. I mean, how else would they breed? I mean, did you did you make a robot that lives on human blood? (laughs) <laughs> yes uh, no you just and... you cut up a mosquito you get some bio gel uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah just take that mosquito straw you listen you just you rub some bio gel on like the the connectors for the double a battery and you just <laughs> pour blood in there and it powers it oh, man. <laughs> next time i see a mosquito i'm gonna go at it with one of those little strips you know, those little power strips for testing your double yeah. batteries. Yeah. yeah. Did you ever, um, did you ever catch flies and put them on leashes as a kid? <laughs> no. I, I would never have had the, the dexterity to the, do right. that. Right. Exactly that. <laughs> yeah. I can't catch flies now. Like, even if the fly wasn't moving, I don't think I could do that. <laughs> I, there was this, there was this person I was like attracted to in middle school and she would do this. Uh, and I thought that was the coolest shit because I was attracted to people I was scared of. <laughs> <laughs> she would 
run around with a plastic, like a plastic garbage bag and just like catch flies. Wow. And then she would put them in the freezer so that just for a few minutes, so they'd like slow down. Right. Okay. I feel like that's easy mode. Yeah. It's a bit cheaty. Um, and then she would tie a little like thread around their, their midsection. And then like, then as they heated up, they would fly again, but they would be on a little leash. And now this is this was person was also a coworker at the robotics lab, who yeah. helped you harvest a moth antenna. I never, I would never harvest a moth antenna. I am only complicit in crimes against moths. That's fair. That's fair. We also had a a pet uh, praying mantis in the lab, hmm. and we a, a couple times had her fight the the robots. <laughs> This is this is very special. How'd she do? I she was like ten and zero. She wow. crushed those robots. Oh my gosh! She only would take it only like one bout with each type of robot because as soon as she recognized it was a robot, she wouldn't try and fight them anymore. Oh, but but and she would and she would discover that it was a robot as soon as she like disemboweled it and saw the electronics spill everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> as soon as. Uh, she like took off their like their Terminator carapace. Ah, tricked again. <laughs> I guess for a bug, since the skeleton is on the outside, it would be like the opposite of the Terminator hand reveal. It would be like cutting off the like hard part, and then there's like gooey metal inside. Yeah, <laughs> that would be weird. Yeah, yeah. You biogel all the way down. Oops, all biogel. <laughs> <laughs> Are we ready for another topic? Sure. Yeah. So Jenny, your topic is, what if poop worked like you ate dinosaur chicken nuggets, you got dinosaur poops? Yeah. So what if poop worked like you ate dinosaur chicken nuggets, you got dinosaur poops? You go first. (laughs) I would enjoy looking at my little dinosaur poops. Aw. They're so cute. (laughs) And then you'd flush them down. I would. And they'd go, oh no, it's happening again. (laughs) Instead of texting friends, I would eat um, like alphabet, <laughs> alphabet soup, soup. consecutively to uh, <laughs> my messages. And then you send a fo- photo of the toilet to your friend. Yeah. It's very, very efficient, very economical. I am told that this happened to me when I was a baby, that um, they would feed me carrot baby food. Not, not whole carrots, but just the baby food made of carrots. And my poop would come out long. And then I would eat pea baby food, not whole peas, but just the baby food made of peas. And my poop would come out in tiny (laughs) spheres. Holy shit. Uh, I haven't been able to replicate this experimentally. That's incredible. Have you tried eating baby food? No, never. And not, not in, not in many years. That might be it. We didn't even give Winston baby food. Oh man. So that's like at the beginning of, the like superhero origin movie <laughs> like you don't notice that this power <laughs> is in winston as well because you didn't give him like the baby food oh, yeah yeah yep. and then years later he's at like a like a baby food party yeah yeah, yeah. and then tastes it and then like because of all this stored up energy like <gasps> all of this fresh food like erupts out of him oh my that's gosh how he it. what do you think it is like those little vienna sausages 
dramatically looks up from his own stool and says, <laughs> I know what it was. <laughs> <laughs> Carrot the hand, please. So I've often thought, like, when I'm trying to identify a strange substance, like, I remember um, we were driving behind a truck and there were just these particles fl- flying back from the truck. And I, I uh, unrolled the window and reached out and grabbed one, by which I mean I let it land on my hand. Uh-huh. And I was just examining this thing, like, what is it? And I, you know, I didn't have a microscope. I didn't have any technology, but what I could have done and didn't do, but could have, and it would have given me a ton of information about what is this thing is made of, was put it in my mouth and taste it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what I'm wondering is like in this in this poop oh. symmetrical world, oh. if you eat a tiny particle like that, do you poop out the entire object that it flaked off of? Whoa. Yeah. Oh, man. This became an excellent detective show now. Yes. Absolutely. I want to read the Jason Shiga comic based on this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so someone's cremated, and then you just taste a bit of their ash, and then you like. You can reconstruct their face. Yeah. Wow. And if you apply the uh, uh, electricity, they come back to life. I'm sorry, you're made of poop now. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever watch um, Pushing Daisies? It sounds familiar, but I'm not sure. I remember it being good when I watched it. It was this like very stylized detective show about this pie maker who had this ability to, when he touched something that was dead, it came back to life for a short amount of time. But if he touches it again, it's dead permanently. Oh, And if he doesn't touch it again within that short amount of time, it can stay alive, but something of approximately the same size dies around it. Oh, wow. Okay. And uh, once he touches something a second time, it's dead permanently. So he and his detective friend, they like go to the morgue and they like, they like touch bodies and then like interview them fast and then touch them again. Wow. I would not want to be this guy's partner. Yeah. It it's like surprisingly kind of twee and light in tone. <laughs> He's also dating this girl that like he brought back to life, so they can't touch. <gasps> oh, that's, that's so a, sad. That's a terrible choice to date somebody. Uh. It's like the ultimate like they treat it very loosely a lot of the time, but it's like the ultimate like toxic relationship. <laughs> like, uh. Yeah. Like why would you be in the same house as each other? Yeah. Yeah get into fights and it's like oh I, I can play the i brought you back to life card yeah yeah i wonder if this th- i feel like this show would take on a new um tenor in modern days where you're not allowed to touch anybody yeah yeah he would never find out about his power yeah uh it's also a musical whoa with okay Kristen chenoweth in it okay okay and he's just had this power since birth it seemed he like brought his mother back to life and then accidentally like touched her again. Oh my God. That's horrible. During childbirth. No. Wow. That's a very different concept. I mean, I guess it's the same, but I mean, he wouldn't know it was happening and probably no one else would understand either. Yeah. Feels like there's a lot of powers that you wouldn't know you had in this episode. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like what if Jim, your poops, like, (laughs) bring things back to life if if like you touch them to something dead uh-huh oh 
And you would never know. Never, never tried know. it. Yeah. yeah. Never try. Never. Not. Not to my knowledge. Anyway. I mean, it's it's just a it's just a metaphor for fertilization. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Are you ready for another topic? Sure. I think so. Uh, so this is a uh, these are minor spoilers for um, Frog Fractions Game of the Decade Edition, but that will be out by the time this show is out. By a, it'll be a month later. So Don't have bought it and played it, everybody. Yeah. Yeah. The topic is. It's annoying that it took me so long to realize I love writing dialogue trees. There were a bunch of dialogue trees in this game and I really like writing them. And I, I dabbled with it a tiny bit in Frog Fractions 1, but didn't really explore the, uh, the, the, the medium. And then Frog Fractions 2, I feel like could have really used uh, some sort of character driven or plot driven content. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. We could have expanded the donut stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but like it's just like this is a skill that i i feel like i'm good at and i really enjoy it and i'm 41 i, I only have a <laughs> short amount of time left to write dialogue trees i feel like you've got some years i've thought a lot about communicating exclusively in dialogue trees mm-hmm. <laughs> like i i made my partner uh for our anniversary i made them a um a mixtape of DS game ROMs Ooh. on a DS cart. Uh-huh. Nice. And I threw together like a a choose your own adventure uh, that was just a twine dialogue tree that spread pretty far. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was just to choose which game to play. <laughs> but I was while I was doing that, I also was like, man, wouldn't it be great is for any conversation like when I'm writing a stressful email, if I could just get all the future emails out of the way, but like any response that they give, can I put, can I integrate inform into my email? <laughs> so then instead of like just the Google auto replies, it just like replies with um, <laughs> their <laughs> input to my email. I feel like if this became the norm, people would want to read the, read the whole tree and oh mm-hmm. yeah you'd get all kinds of emails <laughs> like oh i didn't actually want to fire you from your job i just wanted to see what you'd say <laughs> i'd like to break up and get married <laughs> and-, <laughs> and have a baby <laughs> i'm also moving to new york and detroit <laughs> las vegas these are these are options that are at the forefront of my mind every conversation i have with with my wife it is weird how gmail basically like if you want to treat it that way you can treat every email chain as a dialogue tree because it provides you with like three things you could say in response oh yeah they're eerily well on a lot of the time usually when i get something from my dad the options are like what (laughs) what why did you send me this (laughs) i'm just remembering that i actually sent my partner and i had a like we just only auto reply back and forth <laughs> and try to have a conversation that way you have to accidentally not accidentally break up yeah let me see if i can find it really quick and was this a email thing was this gmail yeah yeah it was just the gmail responses what year was it <laughs> another thing that would be a nice superpower is to see the auto responses that 
the, the person you were about to send the email to see the auto responses that they would get. Ooh. Because then it would give you a little bit of a, an idea of like, well, is this person just going to be confused and ask why I sent this email? <laughs> <laughs> like you hover over like, what you choose. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It simulates their face and you get like an expression that they make from it. You have to rewrite every email until you just get three variations of, wow, what a great email. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see. Okay. I found our, uh, uh, shall I read one of these? Yeah. Yes. Go ahead. I mean, assuming you think your partner would be okay with it. Yeah. I mean, it was our very private conversation. <laughs> <laughs> so here's one. My partner sending me. Hello, friend. I'm so excited to see your new project. I will be presenting my own on Sunday. And then I replied, I'm so proud of you. Wow. They replied, thank you for your support. (laughs) (laughs) And then we replied, thank you for your support back and forth for seven years. (laughs) (laughs) They replied, "Uh, you're so sweet. Thank you. And then we went back to, I'm so proud of you. Thank you for your support. You're welcome. What are you doing? Nothing much. You? Nothing much. You? (laughs) Nothing much. And that's the end of that one. <laughs> I mean, this is this is very like uh, if you've played AI Dungeon. This is oh, the yeah. sort of back and forth you get with the parser there. Like, and and the worst uh, the worst times I've had playing that game is when it gets to this state where it it only knows how to say one thing. No matter what you tell it, it'll just keep giving you the same results, and it's self reinforcing because like the AI is just looking at the previous text to know what sort of thing to say. And if it just sees the same thing 12 times in a row, it's like, well, I better say that thing again. (laughs) Uh, But on the other hand, like sometimes I look at this sort of generated conversation and be like, okay, I think I'm pretty good at writing dialogue trees, but I'm laughing harder at this. (laughs) (laughs) I also empathize with like AIs in that way, especially during like a serious conversation Mm -hmm. and like, Someone's telling me something and I I run out of small looped noises to make. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh no. Like, do I recycle or do I go the random one? I think oof is probably pretty versatile. I heard recently, and I can't I don't know if this is real or not, that um how it's normal in English to like make a like an acknowledgement noise like every phrase somebody says mm-hmm. but in japanese it's normal to make an acknowledgement noise for every word yeah yeah it's super funny to me still. is that is that true yeah 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 wow because so like if you're on the phone with someone it's just like hi 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 wow i never thought i could feel too validated there's also uh, an excellent feature of Japanese, which is that, like, the acceptable range for how long you can kind of um for is l- much longer. Ooh, I love it. You can be thinking about something and be like, uh, eh, eh, to. <laughs> and that's, like, fine. It's not weird. <laughs> well, that's the kind of, uh, that's the kind of atmosphere I'm trying to create here on Topic Lords because I'll just edit it out. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting. So that that leads to a very different reading of like if you read a like Japanese style, like RPG style text, like a visual novel, like of like people talking to each other. 
in like letters appearing one at a time, you have to imagine like people, someone making a grunting noise every time that letter <laughs> appears. Hi, 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 hi. I, um, there is also like a very strong difference between like kind of classical men's Japanese and classical like women's Japanese hmm. where there's like a uh, lower literacy expected of men in terms of like the, like the formal polite way of saying like kind of yes and no approx is like, hi and like, yeah. Uh, but then like the, the sort of traditionally like more masculine way. Uh, but it's basically the informal now is like, like sort of, mm, and, mm, Huh. Just keep your mouth closed. <laughs> <laughs> if this expands to like the, you just say this exact same thing a woman would say, except with closed lips. Or what a divorce. Oh, I hope that comes across in the recording. <laughs> That's all the time we have for Topic Lords. Uh, Jenny, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, they can email me, Jenny at JennyPaladna.com. And Max, if this is something that, that you want, where can people find you on the internet? I'm on Twitter at, at Mechem, M-E-C-H-C-E-M. Or you can email me at Max, with two X's, dot infinity at gmail.com. Thank you so much for being on, being on Topic Lords. Thanks for having yeah, us on thanks Topic for Lords. Us. Hi, this is Jim. This is the audio I append to every episode of Topic Lords. Congratulations to our newly anointed lords. If you'd like more people to hear the show, you can tell your friends about it, or rate and review us on whatever podcast service you use. You can add content to the Topic Bucket by emailing topicbucket at topiclords.com. You can contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com slash topiclords. Patrons get episodes a week early, and you get access to the Topic Lords Discord, where you can discuss topics with all the lords that hang out in there. See you next episode.